God, you haven't failed us yet with this facility, with this church, and um, we know that you will provide. But more than that today, God, we want to walk out of here encountering your presence, having more hope, having more peace, being encouraged and spurred on to know you more. So, Father, I pray today that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that are willing to run with obedience. Those are not just words, Father, but may we mean that as we pray it. Do something different. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, of all the things that I poke fun of Macy about each week, um, the one that stuck the most is the thing about bacon. It's just a lot of people this week have been like, so tell me about Macy and her bacon. I don't know what kind of perfume or stuff y'all use, but I promise you, she, uh, I, I take that back. I don't promise you. <laughs> At Bed Bath & Beyond, she's getting the bacon scent. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, when I was thinking about that throughout the week, the whole bacon thing, what that reminded me of throughout the course of the week and throughout the course of the week where I felt like God was failing me or I was disappointed or frustrated or um, just life hits you, right? I remember what led me to the whole bacon and poking fun of Macy thing was asking, asking God and receiving eyes to see or receiving revelation from God goes together like peanut butter and jelly, right? And then it, was, then it goes together like I said bacon, and then y'all said eggs, of course, but I set you up, but bacon and everything. So receiving the Holy Spirit and receiving eyes to see goes together like peanut butter and jelly, we must ask to receive eyes to see. And we must always ask. Asking and revelation go together. So throughout this week, um, I just, as people would bring that to my mind about, or people would ask me questions about, tell me about Macy's bacon addiction. It just brought me back to, God, I want to ask you that I would have eyes to see this week. Because there's so many things that I don't understand that are going on in this world in my spiritual life, in my relationship with him, um, as a leader, in my deficits. God, give me eyes to see. How many of you guys want eyes to see? God, I want eyes to see. So every time you go out to breakfast or have bacon, may you do what? Ask God to have eyes to see. Amen? You're like some of you just ruined bacon for me, Joey. So as we go through the book of Ephesians, we must remember that this is the basics. This is our foundation. But there's an Old Testament scripture that I want to bring up today that's going to outline today's message, I believe, well. 1 Samuel 2.8. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. 
on them he has set the world. So God has taken the dirt of the earth, the dust, the poor, the powerless, the needy, and he took them from nothing and he raised them to uh, be seated as princes. Now what we understand is going on here is this, is this is a prophetic word of our future, believer's future. There's people in here today who are in helpless and hopeless situations. There's people in here today who have many questions. And this is a prophetic word announcing to you and I that God will take the poor things of the earth and he will seat them in high places. Amen? Isn't that good news? That in your situation, God has raised the helpless, you and I, to a throne of honor. We are seated in heavenly realms. But the thing we have to ask ourselves is do you recognize in all of life that you were once helpless. Or maybe some of you are past that, which would be a great thing, because you understand scripture, you will put your faith in Jesus. But maybe there's some of you in here today that don't recognize that you're helpless. You think that if I just get a better job, if I just get a better retirement, if I just get a better candidate within um, local or regional or national um, government, If my team would just do this or that, we keep on pointing the fingers and say, if I could just achieve this, then my life would be better. But what ends up happening is we try all these things. We try and 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 all of these things leave us empty. We have to recognize that we're helpless. We have to recognize that we're hopeless within ourselves. And the one thing that I've learned very quickly Um, over the past several years is I'm helpless. No matter how arrogant or prideful in a certain area I may be, God quickly brings revelation to humble me. And I'm thankful for that. I have a friend who several years ago um, out of high school went to go be a part of the Coast Guard. Now, where he was able to be a part of the Coast Guard was in Miami. So I was always frustrated with him just drinking his lemonade, whatever he was drinking, right? Sitting on the beach, Coast Guard life. And then he would post videos in the orange helicopter flying over Miami, feet dangling out. And conversations that I would have with him would be um, something along this line. Tell me about this adventure or that adventure. And some of the adventures that he would have were absolutely nuts, much braver and a better swimmer than I ever will be, Um, you know, jumping out of the helicopter, saving uh, capsized boats. But here's one of the things that I learned really quickly talking to him, is he would say, Joey, we would never save boats that we knew could make it back to shore. We only saved boats that we knew were lost and would never make it back. So which boat are you today? Are you the boat that can make it back to shore? Or do you recognize that you are the boat that is capsized in the middle of the ocean and your only hope is the proverbial Coast Guard? That's what we were. 
We were the poor. We were the dust of the earth. We were the capsized boat in the middle of the ocean with no hope. And the only hope was that maybe the Coast Guard would see us. Now, spiritually speaking, here's what I'm saying. You and I had no hope before Jesus. We were, and maybe even some of us are today, because we haven't put our faith in him. We are that boat that needs rescued. And that's what Jesus did. See, but as believers, I think we're believers in here. Most of us are believers in here. It can be easy to forget about our need for help. Most of, like, we focus on so many of the physical needs that we have rather than the spiritual needs. And I think about, um, I think about the story of the paralytic. In the story of the paralytic, this man was uh, paralyzed for years, right? Couldn't move. What ends up happening is his four friends one day know that Jesus is preaching. So the four friends, what they do is they pick up his mat. He's paralyzed on this mat. The four friends pick up a corner. They bring him to where Jesus is preaching and teaching. And because of the way the infrastructure was, they were able to make it to the top, the top of the place that Jesus was preaching. So here's what the friends did. The friends, because they wanted... Um, their friend to be uh, healed, to be healthy again, to be able to walk, what they did is they ended up digging through the roof to present him to Jesus. So why were they bringing the friend to Jesus? Because they wanted the, uh, they wanted the guy in the mat to be healed. So what was the issue that they saw in his life? The issue that they saw in his life was that he was paralyzed. But what we understand according to scripture is when Jesus brought the, uh, saw the paralytic, the first thing that he told the paralytic was this, is not to get up and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven. Far too often, you and I are focused on the physical outcome of things in life. That's what we see. The friends were so concerned about the physical outcome more than a spiritual outcome. But because Jesus knows what's best, guess what he did? Jesus knows, how about this, the problem underneath the problem. And so many of us present problems to God that are not the actual problem that we have in our life. The problem underneath the problem was this, is that the man... The man's sins weren't forgiven. The man didn't know Christ. He didn't know him as a savior. So what did Jesus end up doing is he said, hey, look, your sins are forgiven. How much of the church is disappointed that that's all that Jesus does for them? God, I didn't want my sins forgiven. I wanted to be healthy. God, I didn't want my sins forgiven. I wanted my cat to live a little bit longer. God, I didn't want my sins forgiven. I wanted my significant other back. God, I didn't want my sins forgiven. I wanted more money. I wanted a job. And as Willy Wonka always says, Esther, I want it now. <laughs> I want it now. That's an inside joke from small group that you guys should join one as well. That's a nice plug. If you were a part of my small group, you know what I was talking about. 
we often only see God moving in the physical when he does what we want us, when he does what we want him to do. So I ask you today, do you recognize what you need rescued from? Because you don't need rescued from your boss. You don't need rescued from your teacher. You don't need rescued from your coach. You do need rescued from Ohio State, Spencer. Because we coming. You don't need rescued from your health. You don't need rescued from the government. Do you know what we need rescued from? Our sin. We can't keep on pointing the proverbial finger at everything else in life rather than ourselves. And today I point no finger at you, I point every finger at me. We need saved. When we sin, when we sinned, we needed a savior. Even Adam tried to do it, right? Adam pointed the finger. Well, this woman you sent me, God. He was pointing his response towards a woman. God's saying, not so quick, not so fast. The issue is you. You're the one who also sinned. That's the uh, helicopter. That's the orange helicopter flying by. Do, will I need a new battery? Let's see. It says I'm full charged. It was the helicopter. Nevertheless, some of us might not know that we need rescued spiritually because we're so focused on the physical. God, give us eyes to see the spiritual need within our life. See, it's only when God gives us eyes to see, or how about this? It's only when we experience the reality of Jesus that we realize how much we were missing before him. A lot of us in here, myself included, we don't realize what we're missing. Why? Because we're so focused on what we don't have on this earth rather than what we do have in him. So if you find it difficult to see that you have, uh, that you have a need to be rescued, pay attention today. Because before him we were helpless, but with him he seats us in a place of honor. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to uh, first look at our life without Christ. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. As for you, Paul here again if you guys remember the introduction, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, hence the church, so the people who were believers. So Paul is speaking to believers here. Here's what he says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live by when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nat nature deserving of wrath. 
So life without Christ is far worse than we can ever imagine. Ever. The first thing that life without Christ is, is you are dead in your transgressions and sins. So in the beginning, humans found their purpose and fulfillment by trusting in God as the center of their lives. God created an Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. And when he put them in the garden, they were to trust him. They were to follow with him. They were to follow him. They were to do life with him, right? He gave them tasks. He asked Adam to name everything. And I heard a joke the other day that, you know, like Adam really got bored because naming animals because it was like hippopotamus, right? And then it was, um, what else? Um, rhinoceros, alligator. And then he got bored, then it was just cow. <laughs> Cat. <laughs> so, so in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve these purposes to dwell. And God was to be the center of their life. But that ended when they rejected him. They got tired of him. They wanted to do their own thing. And when they wanted to do their own thing, when they wanted to lead their own life, it meant not just a physical death for them later on, but it meant an immediate spiritual death that had to be fixed. So when you and I sinned, when you and I fell short, when our parents sinned, there's an immediate spiritual death that came into our life. A separation. So physical death is of soul and spirit from the body. When we physically die, our soul and our spirit, there's a separation, right? Our soul meaning just our personality, our being, our spirit actually being this spirit inside of us that will one day go to heaven. But then we will get our resurrected bodies as well. But then a spiritual death is when we are separated from Christ. So Paul says that we are like those who went before us. You and I are like those who went before us, Adam and Eve, other people who have fell, like them, like Adam and Eve. We rejected God's guidance by trespassing known boundaries and falling short of his commands. Anyone in here ever knowingly crossed that boundary? My hand's raised, I'm not asking, I'm saying, I have, I've knowingly crossed that boundary. So I'm like Adam and Eve. So what happens then is when I reject, when I rejected him, when I knowingly trespass, this leaves me physically alive, but spiritually dead, completely disconnected from God. When I continually choose sin, when we continually choose sin, we may be spiritually alive, but inside emotionally and physically, we're saying, this is really hard. We get lonely, we're hurting. It leaves a significant um, void in our hearts. And it often leads to the question of this, if I'm physically alive, but I'm spiritually dead, where do I find love? 
Where do I find meaning? Where do I find purpose? Where do I find security? Where do I find wisdom for my life? And what ends up happening is because we keep on, as Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. And when our life keeps on pursuing sin, and we know we don't want to do it, and we keep on passing this boundary, we say to ourselves, what's life even about? Why am I so lonely? Why am I hurting inside? God, where are you at? And it creates a void, if not filled by God, will lead us to slavery to Satan. That's what Paul is getting at here in Ephesians 2. That if we're physically alive but spiritually dead, it will lead to this void. And this void then, if we're spiritually dead, will then lead us to becoming a slave of Satan. So Paul says, before we knew Christ, we were slaves to Satan. You are a slave to Satan if you don't know God today. Verse 2, you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, I'm not suggesting that Paul was saying everyone who's not, um, everyone who's following the world is possessed. That's not what he's saying. But what I will say is this, is Paul describes enslavement to Satan as living under the influence of his design path, attempting to fill the spiritual void by gratifying our rebellious cravings and maintaining independence from God. I'm going to read that one more time. This is important for us to catch. Enslavement to Satan is living under the influence of his design path, attempting to fulfill the spiritual void by gratifying our rebellious cravings and maintaining independence from God. Now, here's what ends up happening. Where we're deceived and where we don't have eyes to see is right here. Here's what happens. We say, I'm not following Satan. I'm not following the world because I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I don't lie. On the contrary, I go to church. I give a 20 here and there when I feel obligated. But I already know. I saw you guys when I was holding up this carpet pledge. I saw you guys writing the checks. And I just saw a lot of zeros on them. So I know you're going to feel really holy today after that. Nevertheless, what ends up happening is, is we, we don't ever feel like we're spiritually dead because we're comparing ourselves to others. We don't feel like we're following the world because we're not doing the things that the major sins of the world are. But we can't think of it that way. I'm going to read it again. Enslavement to Satan is living under the influence of his design path, attempting to fulfill a spiritual void. So how are you trying to fulfill a spiritual void today? What happens is we gratify this by uh, rebellious cravings and maintaining independence from God. Maintaining independence from God does not mean the big sins. Maintaining 
independence from God means this. We don't pray. We only pray when we get the flat tire. We only pray when the kid gets sick. We only pray a week before the election. We only pray when the coworker really makes us mad. We only pray when we're getting ready to kick a field goal to win a game. And here's what I want to say. God doesn't care about the way games turn out. God cares about the heart of the people who are doing it to honor him. Amen? Maintaining independence from God means we don't pray. Or if we pray, we rush when we pray just to check it off. And when we pray, we don't ask him anything. Especially, well, like, we don't, we don't want to ask him anything because if we ask him something, then he might tell us to do something we don't want to do. And we don't have time for him either. God becomes a burden to us. Isn't that maintaining independence? Like church, friends, family members, people, we all care about each other. We have to quit thinking about maintaining independence from God as big sins. That's where we don't have eyes see. That's where we are veiled. If God gives us eyes to see today and he pulls back the veil, here's what we're going to recognize. I'm spiritually rebelling because I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to love him. Because if I wanted to love him, I'd read my Bible. Right? If I wanted to love him, I would pray. And I just want to be in his presence. I'd want to do those things. If I wanted to love him and if I wasn't deceived, I'd want to serve him. I'd want to give. I'd want to share the gospel with a coworker, with a family member, with a friend. Maintaining independence means I don't want to pray because if I do pray, that means he's going to have me do something. Maintaining independence means I, I don't want to pray because I want to buy a new car. I don't care what you think, God. Maintaining independence means when I wake up each day, I choose my path and say, God, you come with me, rather than waking up each day and saying, God, how do you want to send me today? Amen. Who today has been following the ways of the world? We all have. It can be so easy to believe that we desire God because... We are not in the deep sins of the world. But a desire not to care what God wants is a dangerous place. We see in Romans 1 that people absolutely refuse to worship God. These people whose actions desired independence of him. They wanted to do their own thing. And these people who wanted to do their own thing, here's what ends up happening. These people resort resorted to worshiping created things and not the creator. All this, um, these smelly things are like making it hard for me to breathe up here. I already unplugged one. Um, intrusive thoughts. I'm just making it known that if I pass out, I'm in anaphylactic shock. Just give me an EpiPen. 
unplug all the things. So Romans 1, Romans 1, people are refusing to worship him. I'm going to read it. Romans 1, 21 through 25. For although they knew God, this is convicting, listen to this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. These people knew God, but they didn't worship him. God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. How many of us in here know God today? I'm not asking for a raise of hands. Well, we can raise hands, we can do all those things. How many of us know God? The Corinthian or the Romans here knew God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And where does this lead? When we know God, but we don't honor him as God, what does that then resort in? God handing us over and then us one day worshiping created things. If we had eyes to see, we would stop the things that we're pursuing of the world right now. God give us eyes to see. Because never, 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 never do we say, me not wanting God's opinion today is going to lead me to not knowing him one day. Me not praying today, we think, me not praying today is not going to lead to me one day not loving him. But here in Romans, what I believe we see going on is God says, hey, I'm going to hand you over to these things. These people knew God, but they didn't care to give thanks to him. They didn't care to honor him. They didn't care to obey him. They were people who didn't care what he had to say. And you can't say you care about what God um, says, but also try to live a life independent of him. simple ways, we try to live a life independent of him when we don't care what he says when we pray. So since these people tried to live life independent of him, guess what God did? He handed them over. Verse 24, Romans 1. Therefore, God gave them up. Uh, sorry. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever, amen. When God handed them over, it caused them to worship created things. We are often controlled by created things in this life. What are we worshiping right now? Pleasure, money, success, power, 
wins the approval of others? What do you care about the most today? Do you care about knowing him? Or do you care about all these other things that are irrelevant to life? God, give us eyes to see. So, however, instead of bringing fulfillment, these types of pursuit can leave us trapped and create chaos and emptiness. And I would say this today, the chaos and the emptiness that some of you or most of you or all of you are feeling isn't because he's not up to something. It's because your life has not gone the way that you wanted it to. You don't trust him. So rejecting God, meaning we don't obey him or pursue truth, will make us slaves to these pleasures. Not following God will make us a slave to this world and the ruler behind this way of life, which is Satan. Living a life for Christ means we go in the opposite direction of the world. Do you guys realize, I'm sure you've all heard it, even a dead fish can swim, swim downstream? <laughs> but only a fish that is alive can go against the current? Even a dead church, even a dead believer can come in here on Sunday mornings and get caught up in the emotions. Even a dead Christian and go to church and tell a na- or go to go to work and tell a nasty joke, go to work and gossip, go to the school and make fun of people. Even a dead person can do that, right? A dead, a, a spiritually dead person. But only a person who's alive in Christ can go against the stream. Has the power to do what's right, even in the hard moments. C.S. Lewis, Lewis, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Y'all never going to read that name ever the same, right? Here's what C.S. Lewis said. When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. Isn't that the truth? We see the world running towards a cliff right now. We see America running towards a cliff right now. And then there's a few people who are running in the opposite direction and they're considered to have lost their mind. But for us, spiritually speaking, we don't want to be handed over to these desires. And sometimes it feels like these desires are going to be easier because we're going to be accepted. It gives us purpose to have money. It validates our being. The world validates us. But I don't want that validation. We want to be people who are willing to run in the opposite direction and appear crazy. A life without Christ means we will follow the world and we will be empty inside. Yet a life without Christ will also lead us to eternal condemnation. You were headed for condemnation deserving wrath. That's what we were before God. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It's bad enough to be, a, uh, to be dead and a slave to the enemy. But apart from Christ, we are all headed towards God's condemnation. Now, God isn't an abusive parent who makes you receive a uh, beating because you were difficult for him. God's wrath is more like a fair judge, strongly against evil, ready to punish those who side with his enemy. There's no middle ground today. I want that to be clear. There's absolutely no middle ground. There's God's way, and then there's the other way. Right? That's it. But what far too many of us want to do, and I always, um, yeah, put a foot on a boat and put a foot on a dock, right? We can't play the middle ground. What's going to happen? Put a foot on a boat, put a foot on the dock, see what happens. You have to pick really quickly. When it comes to God, we can't play the middle ground. We can't be in the world and then claim God on Sundays. We can't be in the world and when something doesn't go our way, then be the holiest person. Just choose. Who are you to be? God, give us eyes to see to choose you. Either way, um, God's wrath is like a fair judge, strongly against evil, ready to punish those who choose to be on the enemy's side. God has set a specific day for holding those who choose the enemy's side, the rebels. He's going to hold them accountable. And this day will lead to eternal, not just 40 years, 30 years, 50 years, but eternal condemnation, banishing those who oppose God away from his presence and into an eternal hell. Hell is real. Hell is eternal. Heaven is real. Heaven is eternal. Romans 2.5 says this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Why? Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. So those who don't know Christ, those who are unrepentant, those who are stubborn, those who keep on following the enemy, those who keep on pursuing the world, those who want to be liked and accepted in all these things, and they, they prioritize that over prioritizing him, guess what's happening for those people today? Wrath is being stored up for them. And here's what we do, is we think that God's patience means that no punishment is coming. We think that God's mercy means that nothing, that we got away with something. God sees everything and every sin will face a punishment one day. Every sin faced a punishment. 
Jesus had to die on the cross for us. And John 3, 36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. For those who choose the world, wrath is coming. I think we get the point. Life without Christ leads to spiritual death, enslavement to worldly desires, and Satan. This will lead to emptiness in our souls and eternal condemnation for our future destination. None of this sounds fun. None of this is where I want to be. But one day when we see God, it's not going to be about works and we're going to get there. It's going to be about him. But the Bible has provided us a way to test our fruit. The Bible wasn't here for me to judge your fruit. God gave us the Bible so that I can judge my fruit. Judge your fruit today. That's why Ephesians 2 is important for you and I. So that we can look at this and we can say this. Do I desire to pray? Do I desire to read my Bible? Do I actually follow him throughout the day? Or is he just this proverbial genie that when things don't go my way, then I'll claim him? Who is God to you today? Judge your fruit. I'm not trying to be mean, no judgment, right? I have to judge my fruit. I have the blessing, it is a blessing, that I get to study this full time throughout the week. And while I study this full time throughout the weeks, guess what I ask myself? What's my fruit? And God, some weeks I recognize, some days I recognize that my fruit is, uh, I was talking to a small group this week, I have been so distracted by everything that the Buckeyes have been doing the past week and a half. And at the end of the day, it's so minuscule to eternity. But I've been so distracted by it. And I've been following the ways of scarlet and gray. Like, every move I'm just so excited about. And FaceTime Mark on Saturday night. Mark, I'm shaking in my boots. And Mark's like, yeah, me too. So I'm not judging you, but where are your fruit? And I say, God, I'm, I don't know, this past week, I've just, my fruit has been like excited about worldly things. Open up my eyes. You don't need anything other than him. He is way better than you ever imagined. God is better than everything and anything that you think that you need. And until you know that deep within your spirit, you're deceived. You are wrong. God has so many great things for us. And and I like to look at things in hindsight. Like, I try to often picture um, on my deathbed, right, however old I am. We don't know when it is. But whenever we think about our deathbed, and I was going to name a number, right? <laughs> I'm not going to name a number. <laughs> I'm still too young to name a number. 
I've learned over the past six years. Um, I'm thinking about a number. Um, yeah. So we all have this proverbial number in our mind where our deathbed may be. And I say, if I make it to that number and I have this deathbed, how would I want to live? What would I want my life to be about? And that's a lot of the times that I think about that. It's like, who do I want to be as a husband? Like, Macy is the first ministry in my life. So who do I want to be as a husband? Do I wish that I would have um, did more of these things rather than spending time with her? Do I wish I would have been more opinionated here than just listening to her heart? Do I wish I would have told her how the world would just be a better place if it just listened to me rather than just nurturing to her, right? And I think back to this, this proverbial time and I say to myself this, I don't think on my deathbed I'm gonna say I wish I would have solved the world's problems with Macy this many times or I wish I would have had another disagreement with her. I think what it comes down to is I say to myself, who do I wanna be, on that, in that place, who do I wanna be now? Likewise, I say to myself, when I meet Jesus, how many of these things that I'm worrying about now are really gonna matter? Ohio State stuff's not gonna matter. Um, when, when Ohio State football players meet God, um, hopefully Michigan players meet God. We pray for them. My mom's a Michigan fan too, right? When, when, when athletes meet God, God's not gonna say, hey, remember that one time you did that one thing that was really good that you beat them? God's gonna say, hey, when you won, when you won that game, how did you honor me? When you were in that game, how were you honoring me? When you lost that game, how did you honor me? Now, you know what? I think that I, I, think that I used to be really athletic, but I'm not as, as athletic as them. But Olivia hasn't beat me in anything yet. So if we play basketball, she beat me. That's why you give yourself home field advantage and don't play basketball. So one day God's not gonna say, hey, Joey, you beat Olivia in a race. He's gonna say, how did you minister to the people who were around you? And he's gonna tell Olivia when you got beat by an old man, how did you honor me? Point being, in life, how do we honor him through the good and the bad? but God, but God, right? Life without Christ leads to spiritual death, enslavement, and worldly desires, but God. So all of these things that were coming our way because we were pursuing the world, God had to intervene, <clears throat> but God, verse four. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So all this negativity that has been coming from the pulpit, you're saying, Joey, give me something positive. Here's the positive. But God intervened. 
God has made us alive even though we were dead. He did this because of his grace. And only those who were dead understand the value of being alive. Do you understand the value of being alive today? I'm not talking about a declarative alive, but really being alive. What Paul um, does is he takes us from this dire place of being dead, being dead in sin, being dead in our transgressions, being slaves to Satan and those who are headed to condemnation and death and wrath. He takes those. He takes the hopeless, the hopeless in life, the hopeless in marriage, the hopeless in finances, the hopeless in purpose, the hopeless in God, the hopeless in everything, right? Because there's someone in here today who's saying, you just don't understand, I have no hope. I wish I was only hopeless in marriage. But there's other people who are just hopeless in everything. They can't have fun. They don't enjoy waking up. Paul takes those people from a place of this brokenness and he speaks the truth of heaven to them. Paul speaks to the church and he says, Christ has made you alive. Christ has made us alive today. Amen. You can be alive today because of Christ. But I know some of you in here don't feel like you can ever be alive again. You feel like this uh, new birth was a one-time experience. But this idea of but God can take those who were controlled by evil thoughts and fill them with the Holy Spirit. This idea of but God has the uh, power to make us from dead to alive. This idea of but God can take the children of wrath and make them children of God. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. We don't need to be afraid of him. We can trust him with our lives. The power behind but God can do amazing things. He can save those who repent of their mistakes, making them alive, holy, and hopeful. Even when things seem hopeless, God's power can turn everything around with these two words, but God, but God. Today in your life, but God. No matter how hopeless you are, but God. But the good news doesn't stop there. Verse six, grace for all, right? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God takes those who have been caught in horrible dark sin and he seated them with him in heavenly realms. How can he do this when they were such sinners? How can God take such sinners and take them to this new height? What, how? Well, he's able to make us a new creation. 
a washed, a restored, a saved, a lifted, and a heavenly seated creation. You are not who you used to be if you've uh, put your faith in Christ. If you are covered by the blood and you are a new creation and you have repented of your sins, you are a new being. There are so many stories in the Bible of those who were down, who were out, yet they were saved and brought out of their mess. And here's how we know we're hopeless. Well, that was a biblical story. That has nothing to do with me. Or God did that for them. Why would he do that for me? Well, I don't understand that story. Let's just talk about one of the stories. We mention it often. But the story of Joseph. He was betrayed. He was sold as a slave. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned. He was forgotten about, and yet God raised him up to the right hand of Pharaoh. How many of you guys were betrayed? Probably all of us. Sold as a slave, falsely accused, imprisoned, forgotten about, and your family did this all to you. But God, but God. What about Ruth? A poor widowed Moabite. She finds favor and married a wealthy Boaz, but God. What about jo uh, Jonah? Jonah was running from God. And I see a generation of people running from God. Jonah knew God, knew the good in God. What's wrong with America today is we have people who believe in God, but we have a generation of Jonas. Ask yourself if you're a Jonah today. Either way, Jonah ran from God. And as he ran from God, going to an area of Tarshish, he was thrown off a ship. After he was thrown off a ship during a storm, he was swallowed by a big fish. And then in his distress, in his crying out in Jonah 2-2, God answered him. He was spit up. But you know what was interesting? After he was spit up, the grumbling started again. Don't be like Jonah. Now remember from earlier, remember from earlier, 1 Samuel 2.8, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ashes or from the ash heap. He seats them with princes as they inherit the throne of honor. So as we wrap up today, the final question is this, is how do we apply this? How do we apply what we're learning here in Ephesians 2? We're running from him. We're rebellious. We find more pleasure in the world than we do him. I think Paul answers it. How we are his workmanship. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is a very well-known verse. But salvation is solely by grace through faith. 
in the works of Jesus, not our own works. Many of us have just been trying to work our way back to God rather, rather than truly connecting with him. For us to truly connect with him, we have to lay bare before him and say, God, I've been pursuing the world. I've been gratifying my own desires. I've been following the prince of the air. And I want you today. I want to be done with this. But what ends up happening is we will follow the prince of the air and we think that we're okay because we're comparing ourselves to other people and then we do a good work so that we feel that we're better. And the good work is, some of our good works is just coming to church, right? I'm just gonna go to church and that's my good work. And then we feel better about ourselves because we went to church. And many of you guys, maybe there's a streak, you've been to 36 straight years of going to church every Sunday, you've never missed a small group. Well, you can go to church 36 straight years and never miss a small group and your heart still be away from him. Has anyone ever just regularly come to church and just been far from him? I have. I've been far from him, attending church. But what we do is we say, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get right with God by just attending church, but my heart being far from him. Far from him. I'm gonna give a 20, I'm gonna give a 50 and not connect with him. But because I gave a 20 or a 50, I feel like I did something good. Or you know what? I saw someone at the store, so what I'm going to end up doing is they needed food, so I helped them. Or I donated to Embrace Grace Ministry. These are all good things. But if we think that these things are making us closer to God, or that God approves of us more because of them, we don't understand the gospel. So for us today to reconcile all the things we talked about at the beginning, we have to lay down ourselves before him and say, you know what, God, I was nothing, I am nothing. But in you, I have everything. In you, I have everything. So salvation is solely by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, not our own works. However, we know this. A 2020, not a not a 1970, a 2020 survey reveals a significant number of individuals associated with various Christian churches, including Pentecostal, um, Mark, Mainline Protestant, I should start naming out, Mainline Protestant, Stu, um, Evangelical, Macy, Catholics. Catholics, any Catholics in here? What ends up happening is this study, Pentecostals, Protestants, Evangelical, and Catholics in the study, they believe that one can qualify for heaven through good deeds, highlighting a misunderstanding of the central message of salvation. These thousands of people were that were surveyed thought that they could earn their way to heaven by doing good works. The essence of salvation is humbly acknowledging that it is a gift of God. And like individuals um, in biblical examples, we cannot boast in ourselves. We must recognize the kindness and rescue provided by God. So what's the application? Here we are, and then we're out of here. God in Ephesians 2 is giving a billion reasons to trust him and walk in a relationship with him. Yet I know it can be... In 
it can be challenging to fully embrace this invitation. So for many of us, we have to set aside the skepticism that we have. Kids, to inherit the kingdom of God, we must become like children. And children aren't skeptical. So we must set aside our skepticism. We must set aside our fear of disappointment. And we must set aside the feelings of being exploited by God. Many people don't honor God because they feel like when they honor God or serve God that they're going to be exploited by him. Or God, I'm going to have to serve here or serve there. Well, you know what? I don't... I, yeah. Filter, filter. I remember going to the, like, the mall with Macy sometimes, and it'd be embarrassing. Sometimes I'd just wait for her to get out of certain stores. Right? Men, come on. Get my back. You just kind of chill, right? But the more comfortable you become in your skin, the more you want to be with that person. So I'll go with her to get her hair did. I'll go with her uh, wherever, right? Point being, when it comes to God, we want to be everywhere with him. There's no place that we're ashamed to be with him. We want to go everywhere. And the store I was talking about was Bed Bath & Beyond. I hate going in there with lotions and sprays. What were you guys thinking I was talking about? Bed Bath & Beyond. (laughs) We think that... (laughs) (laughs) we think we think that if we give our lives to Christ that he's going to exploit us but you know the heart that he wants us to have God I give you everything exploit away God wherever you want to go whatever you want me to do I will go there with you so to believe is to trust in the kindness of God and accept the gift being offered It means our trust is founded on the assurance of God's goodwill, demonstrated through the offering of his son for your rescue. We need rescue today, Romans 8, 32. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would help us have eyes to see, that we would set aside our skepticism, that we would set aside our fear of disappointment, that we would set aside the fear of being exploited. May we truly just honor you. Help us honor you. May we want to spend time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.